This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching to the book of Esther, and today we're in chapter 4. We left off last week talking about miracles. A lot of things get called miracles, and a lot of people demand miracles to solve their problems. But other than salvation, where a spiritually dead person is miraculously brought to life by the Holy Spirit, miracles are a very rare occurrence. Instead, God gives us simple rules and principles to live by. Those are often his preferred method to solving our problems. But regardless of what calamity befalls us, God wants to use these trials to build our spiritual muscles, as we'll learn in the second half of today's message from Pastor Pierre. Miracles are rare events. Let's never confuse the impossible with the improbable. Okay, God still operates miraculously today, but most, more often than not, He brings healing, for example, as a part of His plan if it's within His plan. By the way, that's the, the key term to understand here when we pray for healing for somebody else, for example, or for our own healing. We, we're not in a position to say, Lord, please bring a miracle. No, just heal that person. However, you're going to do that. And most likely, more often than not, God will use the hands of able physicians to accomplish that. And wise decisions on the part of the sufferer. For example, how about lifestyle changes? How about medication intake, for example? Or, or, or a, a diet or exercise? Likewise, rather than wait for the audible voice of God, we should seek wisdom and guidance from diligent Bible study. I never heard God's audible voice. I don't think anybody does. Because he has completed his work here in the Bible. You have the beginning and the end, Genesis through Revelation. What else is there to reveal? So it takes a lifetime to understand God's plan for your life. You're reading his word. Why would we wait for God to speak audibly to us today when he has been clear enough in his word? So rather than wait for audible divine voice, we should seek wisdom from diligent Bible study, or the words of a well-crafted sermon followed by a Berean-like attitude. Likewise, financial relief, for example, will come through discipline, self-control, wise spending habits, or delayed gratification. That's a concept that is unpopular, delayed gratification. Stewardship, investment, wise decisions, and all all of that. So instead of sending money to a greedy televangelist for the miracle We should wait for God and ask Him to intervene on our behalf providentially, circumstantially. But remember, when we ask for that, He will cause us to at least see the need for change in our own lives. Now, none of these things that I mentioned here require signs and wonders. But none of them can happen apart from divine providence. I like to tell people this. I'll I'll give the example that I got through seminary. Uh, I, I was a poor seminary students, and that's, that's a redundancy, okay? When you say, when you're a poor seminary student, it's understood that if you're a seminary student, you are poor. I heard a, a fellow seminarian told me one time he was so poor he couldn't afford the other O and the R, so he was a poor seminary student. I got a scholarship from the president of the seminary, a full scholarship, but the way God provided for me was through hard work. He opened the doors for me to work, 
and I work and I paid my bills and I continue to give and I continue to exercise diligent spending habits and God got me through it only by his divine enablement. Again, it didn't happen apart from divine providence. And that's how God works today. And we see exactly that model being functional here in the story of Esther. So in moments of crisis, we must enlist hope in the God that works behind the scenes to accomplish His will in our lives. But let me talk to you about the third muscle, spiritual muscle that we must develop according to the story here. In calamity, engage courage. So in peril, exercise perseverance, in hardship, enlist hope, and now in calamity, engage courage, verses 9 through 17. Now, before we even get to the text, let me give you some information here. The remainder of the chapter features a dialogue between the queen and Mordecai through the mediation of her bodyguard. That's what we see here in the remainder of the chapter. Esther's father figure here recognized the connection between his adopted daughter's rise to prominence and her possible intervention on behalf of God's people. But that would not be without challenge because, again, her petition to Ahasuerus was probably a crime. Just like we read in the text here, approaching the king of Persia without being summoned often resulted in a capital crime depending on the mood of the monarch. And also Esther's mediation would require her to admit lying to the king or at least withholding information from the king. Because remember, in chapter 2, Mordecai told her, don't tell anybody you're a Jewess. So in order for her to go to the king and ask for his intervention on behalf of God's people, she would have to admit at least to the omission of this information, which might have triggered the rage of King Xerxes, Ahasuerus. And we see that that happened in the first chapter because that's what happened with Queen Vashti. So no one is safe from the king's wrath. Now with that in mind, Let's see how God shows his providence through the character development of Esther. Now, I want you to see yourself in this story here, because this is a story of Esther. Obviously, it's a different culture, a different time, different context, but God is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And he works in your life and in my life in the same way, because the Bible promises that he began a good work in us. So he is doing a good work in the life of Esther. He's doing a good work in your life and a good work in my life. Let's see how her character development or muscle development takes place here in the story. First of all, I want you to see Esther's hesitation. Verses 9 through 12. Hathak came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king to the inner court who is not summoned... He has but one law, that he may be put to death, unless the, king's holds out, the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. Uh, they related Esther's words to Mordecai. So this is a dialogue between Esther and Mordecai through this guy, Hathak, here. And um, what she's saying is, look, this is going to cost my life. Now, according to Herodotus, ancient Greek historian, Persian law allowed a concubine to request an audience or a one-night stand, really, with the king only by letter. So they were allowed to request a night with the king by letter, which the monarch could see. If he was in a bad mood, your history. But he could forgive your blunder there by holding out the scepter here. So the, the law of don't call me, I'll call you kind of a thing. And Esther knew about that, and he's relaying that to Mordecai. She's telling Mordecai all of that. So we see here that initially she placed personal safety above the needs of her people. Nothing heroic there so far. 
But the author shows a character development here, which we call character arc. It's the, 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 the growth of Esther through the counsel of her older cousin, also by divine enablement. But before we judge Esther here too quickly, let's understand, church, that self-preservation is a normal, sinless response to perceived danger. Okay? You're not sinning by, by exercising self-preservation. In fact, God wired you this way. We, we are wired to preserve our own life. I mean, there's nothing sinful about that initially. Well, if that becomes exaggerated, then it could be a problem. But we have something called adrenaline in, a, in our bodies that cause us to heighten our senses to perceived danger when we're facing with perceived danger. That is why you lay awake at night. Because in your heart and in your mind, you're thinking, man, I need to act here. I need to get through this situation. And you're thinking about possible ways to get out of a, of a bad situation. We, lo- we lose sleep for the- because of this, because we have the fight or flight response to perceived danger. Now, this reaction can turn very sinful if we turn to anything like the bottle or drugs or, or, or self-gratification instead of God. If we turn to anyone else for relief other than to God, then that's when sin takes place. We can also sin by worshiping comfort and engaging in self-pity like, why me? Or why am I going through this? Lord, I thought that living a Christian life was all about health and wealth. Why am I going through this? But like Esther, obviously, we want to preserve our own lives. But check this out. Those of us who are Christians follow a man who disregarded his own life for the sake of many. Mark 10.45, Jesus says, I did not come here to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So if we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, we should have the same attitude. Yes, I preserve my own life, but listen, if the Lord is demanding me to lay down my own life, I will do it. Lay down my life for my brothers and sisters in Christ, if necessary. Now, it's very unlikely that you will have to do that here in our neck of the woods. But our brothers and sisters around the world are constantly being asked by God to lay down their own lives for the sake of others. The worst that will happen to you, and I'm talking to my brothers here, my my fellow husbands, is God may ask you to give up a night with the guys. Let's start with a simple. And then we work out. None of us here would hesitate to take a bullet for our wives. And that's very heroic. But how about we give her the opportunity to decide what we're going to eat? Huh? We start with that. We suggest and we follow the example of Jesus, which Esther here prefigures in the story, to lay down your life if necessary for the lives of others. Now, because it has been a month since the queen last saw the king, she thought that, well, he doesn't want me anymore. And it's easy to understand that. He had hundreds of concubines. So he was busy. And I hate to use this expression, but he wants to go through all of them in another cycle. So Esther thought, well, he doesn't want me anymore. But what we see here in the text is after the hesitation of Esther, we see Esther's inspiration, verses 13 through 14. And we see the progress of her courage. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that you... In the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. You see, Mordecai gently rebuked Esther here. First, he assured her that her royalty status would not keep her out of danger. 
it's very simple to understand the reason why. Not even Vashti in chapter 1 was exempt from danger. Again, because of the bad mood of the king. Second, he demonstrated total confidence that God would intervene in their favor. Which means, church, that Mordecai knew his Bible. He knew the book of Genesis. He knew that God had promised Abraham an inheritance. And in him, all the families of the world would be in his descent. And all the families of the world would be blessed. So he knew that there would be a Messiah who would come from the line of the Jews. And God, therefore, is not a God to lie. Therefore, God will never lie. And he says, God will be faithful to his promises. If you refuse to do this now, God is going to raise up somebody else. And you will incur the wrath of God. He's telling Esther. This reminds us of the stewardship of influence. Esther was in a position of influence. And remember, to whom much is given, much is required. According to Luke 12, verse 48. Which prompts me to ask you, are you using the influence that you have in whatever position God placed you to advance the kingdom of God or to advance your own cause? You might be the boss in your work. You might be a husband. You might be a father. You have some sort of influence. God has placed you there. You say, no, pastor, I, I worked my way to get to that position. Not really. God is the one who gives you breath and, and energy to get to your position. And if you're there, it's by divine design. The question is, are you using that position of influence to advance the kingdom of God or to advance your own cause? Mordecai demonstrates trust in God here, in the God whose name is not mentioned in the book. He knew that he would never dishonor his promise to restore the people of God. And what a great way to express confidence in God, the God who always fulfills his promises. So my fellow believer, listen very carefully. Every promise that God made to you will come to pass. Even if it doesn't come to pass in your time schedule, it will happen. Now, the problem is when we confuse promises that were not made to us in the Old Testament, for example, but every promise that God made to believers will come to pass to the minutest details. Let me give you some evidence of that in the Bible. Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And believer, Christ is in you through the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. He is with you always, even to the end of the age. That's his promise to you that he's keeping. Romans 8, verse 1, we're told... There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a promise that God will never condemn you. He will never bring up your sins against you and say, not you're out of heaven. If you're a believer in Christ, there is no condemnation for you because Christ already took the penalty that belongs to you. In Romans 8, verses 37 through 39, we're promised that he will never, we will never be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, you will never lose your salvation. Once you're saved, you are saved forever. You cannot sin your way out of God's grace. You can probably sin your way out of this earth and then have a heart attack or uh, do something stupid and die. But the point is, you will never sin your way out of God's grace. Because the Bible says nothing will separate you from the love of God which is in Christ. That's a promise. Now that's obviously not an excuse to go sin all you want. If that's your reaction to this verse, you certainly don't understand salvation. Hebrews 13 verse 5, the author of that book reminds us, He himself, referring to Christ, has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So my friends... We should rest in these promises just like Mordecai knew. He was confident that God would deliver them. We should be confident that God will get us through whatever it is that we're facing. It may take a little longer than you want, but God is developing spiritual muscles in you through adversity. 
But let's, let's wrap things up here. After talking about Esther's hesitation and inspiration, we're talking about the character development in her life. Let me talk to you about Esther's solution, verses 15 through 17. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I, I and my maidens will also fast in the same way, and thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and did just as Esther had commanded him. You see, the same gal that started this whole conversation with men, I, I, I don't know, Mordecai, I want to preserve my own life. You know, it's a, it's a capital punishment to go to the king. She finished that dialogue by saying, you know what? If I perish, I perish. See, she developed those muscles. God had accomplished his purpose in her life. She's not perfect, far from it. But God is working in her life just like he's working in your life. The confidence of uh, Mordecai emboldened Esther. That's what's going on here. She saw that Mordecai was so confident in God that it rubbed off on her. And she risked her own life of be, on behalf of her people, which is the heroic part of this here. Notice here, church, that there's nothing political about her civil disobedience. She said, I will disobey the law. I will violate the law. Because not only is this permitted, it is commanded that I violate the law in this particular case here. Civil disobedience in the eyes of God in this particular case is totally justifiable, even expected. But there's nothing political about her decision. I want you to know that this is not about economics. This is not about a, a preferred political party. This is about faithfulness to God. And if God ever places us in such a situation, we will say, I will violate the law. If I perish, I perish. If the government ever tells me, you cannot preach this message, I will say, I will violate the law respectfully. If I perish, I perish. That is what is expected of us as believers in Christ. Again, I don't think this is ever going to happen here in our lifetime. Perhaps it will. It, it changes nothing. We just ask that God will keep us faithful and keep us from committing high treason against Him. So the heroism here of Esther inspires every generation since then and provides a benchmark for us today. It is the willingness to lay down your life for the sake of others. Again, you don't have to be so extreme. You can start by exercising self-control. Instead of laying, literally laying down your life to, to, to die for your, for your brother and sister in Christ, which again, very unlikely that you will be required to do. But how about you start by, you know what? I'm going to exercise self-control. I'm going to control my tongue. I'm not going to spread this rumor here. I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to talk negatively about my brother or sister in Christ or to my brother and sister in Christ. Because I love him. But most of all, because I love God. You see, I read this week that about 70% of us will have a major life-altering situation every decade. It is very likely that all of us here will experience a tragedy or a major crisis every 10 years or so. That's, that's statistically speaking. I wish things were different. I wish God's people were exempt from that dreaded email or that letter, or that phone call from the boss, or from the oncologist, or from the medical examiner, the social worker, or the attorney, or the bank, or the repo man. But we're not exempt from these things. Because Jesus says, in this world you will face trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. It's the same for the Jews of ancient Persia. They were not exempt from the royal edict that legalized their genocide, the first attempted holocaust in history. 
But God moved behind the scenes here. I want you to see that God is moving behind the scenes to get him through, not out of the situation. They will get through the situation. Stay tuned. And by the way, you have my permission to read the book ahead. There's only 10 chapters. Read them and make, make notes. Read all the chapters, make notes, and then we'll, we'll compare notes on Sundays here. But listen, God will get you through your crisis, your, your adversity. Not necessarily, he may take you out, but I can't promise that. He will get you through it. And as God's people today, Christians have something much better than the promise of exemption from trouble. Did you realize that? We have something much better than exemption from trouble, church. And that is, we have the opportunity to develop spiritual muscles by divine providence through adversity. So adversity is not our enemy. We don't like it. None of us will ever sign up for adversity. And we pray, Lord, why now? This is terrible timing, we'll say, every time we go through adversity. But listen, a soldier, and this is what you are, if you're a believer in Christ, you are a soldier. You're not a vacationer. You're a soldier. You will rest when you get to heaven, but between now and then, you are a soldier of Christ. You are in the Lord's army. You are a soldier of Christ. Our war is not against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against politicians. We're not fighting against the culture. We're fighting against the principalities and the powers of the air, the Bible says. It's a spiritual battle. But listen, a soldier without battle scars shows that he or she is not field tested. You want to be field tested. You want to be a scarred believer. Because every one of your scars will remind you of God's faithfulness. See, an untested faith is not worth having. Did you realize that? If your faith is not tested, it may not be real. And you want to have the assurance that your faith is real. Okay, the object of your faith is Christ. It is the one in whom you place your faith. If that faith is not real, it's not worth having. If you're not willing to die for Jesus Christ, there's no point in living for Him. So an untested faith is not worth having. And if God is testing your faith through the fires of adversity, consider yourself extremely blessed. Extremely blessed. And my fellow believer, we can view our present crisis. Whatever crisis you're dealing with, whether it's a health crisis, financial crisis, emotional crisis, a marriage that's fallen apart, a family that's broken, a son or a daughter that's wayward, whatever it is, listen, you can view that present crisis from God's eyes, just like he did with Esther and Mordecai and the Persian Jews. He is developing your character through all of this. Be of good cheer. You will shine brighter at the end of that. And by the way, that adversity will end. Nothing is permanent. No, no, no trial is forever. That adversity will end one day, and you will shine brighter at the end of this whole thing when he removes the impurities of your life through the fires of sorrow and grief because God wants us to be weaned from the world and desire him more than we desire relief. Consider this. God wants you to desire him more than you desire relief from grief or pain, because when you desire him, guess what? You will always be satisfied, because he's, he's a never-ending source of joy in the midst of sorrow, a never-ending source of, of, of wisdom in the midst of difficult situations. But when you desire relief, you may have relief, and then what happens next? When you go through the second round of adversity, which will happen, by the way, in your life, you will shine brighter. But the point is, You can't even begin unless you come to faith in Jesus Christ. So those of you who are here this morning and listening to us or watching us online, if you're not a follower of Christ, if you're not a born-again 
believer in Jesus Christ, then, then nothing of this applies to you. There is no hope for you. So you want to come to Jesus Christ today, not tomorrow. You want to come to God and say, I'm ready to receive your son as my Lord and Savior. Because not only will he give you eternal life, he will give you the abundant life, which does not mean absence of sorrow. Just like we saw here in, the, in God's, God's chosen people living in Persia. They're not exempt from publicly displaying sorrow and grief. The same is true for us. If you're a believer in Christ, you're not exempt from sorrow, but you have the abundant life, which means you can find joy in the middle of your trouble. You can't get there without Christ. And I hope you make the right decision today to come to faith in Him. Not only will He give you eternal life in heaven, which is everlasting joy and peace, or you can, which is a bad choice, decline to come to faith in Christ. I'm not signing you up for the church or inviting you to become a Baptist. I'm asking you to come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you decline that, then the alternative is to spend eternity in a place called the lake of fire, everlasting suffering. It's not fun and, and, and drugs and rock and roll like the, the world wants us to believe in a never-ending party. Nothing can be further from the truth. If you read your Bible, you see the difference between those two destinations. I hope you make the right decision today. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast has provided you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth With Grace.